Hey, I wanna welcome you to a special kind of conversation here at Epiphany. Every now and again, we take time to talk about why Epiphany is the way Epiphany is. These are our Epiphany culture conversations and the purpose of them is to unify and clarify who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do because he's given us something unique, unique to pursue in our region of the world. And all of us have experienced different expressions of church And so if you're just checking Epiphany Station out, I really want you to be able to know and understand who we are and why we are. And if you are part of Epiphany Station, I want us to remember what it is that God called us to do when he started us years ago and to make sure that we never lose sight of that. Every year we set goals, these challenges, these things to push us based on this existence, based on why we are here and what we're here to do. And that comes from, and we take these goals out of what we call our our mission statement, the purpose of Epiphany from day one, which is this. Epiphany Station exists to love God and to love people by embracing thousands of outsiders into an authentic community of faith that is characterized by heartfelt prayer, passionate worship, mind-blowing biblical teaching, sacrificial service, radical generosity, and intentional fellowship where they can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and sent out to embrace thousands more. Today, we get to talk about one of my favorite pieces of our statement of existence, which is embracing outsiders. See, when you use the term outsider, sometimes that can feel actually it's quite exclusive. Like you're already saying to people, you're an outsider, you don't belong here. But you see, to be able to understand why we use that term, we have to understand what the threat is. The threat is that as a church, it's very easy to want to drift into doing things with time, energy, money, ministry that is reaching people who are already going to heaven. Or it's reaching people who are already part of another church family and we don't want to do that. And so although the term outsider might very seem like you're not one of us, we want to understand that everything we do is to go after people who don't feel like they're one of us. It's to embrace people into something that Maybe they've never had before an actual personal relationship with God, an actual family, a church family where they are loved well. You see, if people want to come to Epiphany Station and they're already believers and they're coming from somewhere else, that's okay. But we want it to be because they understand that we're here to work for the sake of an outsider. And so today what I want to do is I want to take a chunk of scripture, a big old chunk, and I want us to look at it and I want us to grasp and understand where we get this idea from that church should be all about the outsider. That's where the focus should be, that those people would feel welcome and loved by us. The chunk we're going to look at is a whole chapter of the narrative of Jesus. It's written by a guy called Matthew. He's got a fantastic name and he's a fantastic writer. He talks about what Jesus came to do, what his real mission was, and all the things that he did throughout his life and his death. It's Jesus's mission, and it's the church's mission. And I think we see a lot of it in chapter 9. Because in chapter 9, we get a whole bunch of stuff about sinners. And we see a whole lot about people being called unclean. We see a lot of elitism. We see people being healed. We see demon possession. And we see some people desiring to embrace what Jesus calls the purpose of the church and new ministry and others trying to stick to the old. And so in this, we see what Jesus really came to do. In Matthew chapter nine, we see right in the beginning that Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. 
Some people brought him to a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easy to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus, he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for giving humans such authority. Now, if you ever want to explain to someone... What we mean by outsiders, this is where I'm saying that Matthew chapter 9 is so good. Because Matthew chapter 9 says so much about the people that the rest of the world are excluding. And the people that the church has been known to exclude. See, what we want to do is we want to embrace outsiders. And an outsider in the most simplistic of terms is someone who's not here yet. They're not here yet because they don't know they're welcome yet or they don't know the need for it yet. They're an outsider looking in and oftentimes in our culture today, they're outsiders and they're not even looking in the direction of the church. And these people, these people often don't feel like they are worth God's time, God's interest, that they are not a loved people. Take for example in this story, the paralyzed man. Now in that day, that man will have been told that he was paralyzed. The reason he was paralyzed was some form of judgment, that it was because of some sin that he or his parents had done. Really, back in the day, any issue was judged in such a way, and people were called unclean, sinners that were not welcome into the family of God because of what was manifest in their lives. And we, although we may have changed, are not all that much better. We have our own things that we judge. We have our own segregation tendencies in which we say some people are not going to be welcome in our church families. See, back in the day, it might have been lepers and those paralyzed. Now, it's those who are lawbreakers. It's those who don't fit the nice mold. It's sexual criminals. It's... Those who don't vote the way that we vote or represent the way that they should. It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's foreigners. Whatever category that you want to claim and say those people are so wrong, so bad, so unclean and dirty that they're not welcome unless they change first. We struggle to actually see these people the way that God sees them. And so we write them off and they're not loved. They're not loved by culture and they're not loved by the church. Instead, they're cast out and left on the side of the road. There's another instance a little bit later on in Matthew, in which Matthew is actually called to be a believer in Jesus, to follow Jesus. He says, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and the disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. This is my favorite chunk for understanding why we're here to embrace outsiders. Matthew, although he's got a stellar name, Matthew is not godly. In fact, Matthew, when Jesus finds him, he's a thief. One of the most disreputables. He's a tax collector. I'm not saying all tax collectors are thieves, but all thieves might be tax collectors. See, Matthew was not only taking in taxes for a government that was basically in charge and overruling these people, he was also asking for a little bit more from people and lining his own pocket. And not only did Matthew do that, but all of his friends did that too. And all of his friends are heathens. And all of his friends are not welcome by the church of the day, by the religious elite. And so when Matthew has dinner with all these people and Jesus and his disciples and the elite come knocking and they find Jesus eating with them, they write them off and Jesus and says, why, if you're good, Jesus, would you be with such scum? You see, before Jesus came along, there was no thoughts of people being redeemed based on anything other than smartening themselves up. When Jesus came, he came to save us before we could do anything about it. He came to actually save those who the church might well be guilty of saying will never be welcome in his own family. We write off the very ones he came to save. Now I'm gonna paraphrase the next few bits of Matthew 9 because otherwise we're gonna be here all day. But you see, when Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor, it's sick people do, if we're not careful, you and I, we stand there and we rub our hands and say, oh, I love it when Jesus calls someone out. I absolutely love it. You know, like you can tell someone's wrong and all of their attitudes are misaligned and Jesus comes in and just kind of slaps them like you're being selfish, self-centered, self-righteous. You're like, yeah, tell them, Jesus. And more often than not, we don't actually see what we need to see in those moments. Because if we were to look a little bit closer into the Bible, if we were to look a little bit closer into the mirror, we would see that in more instances than not, we're the ones that Jesus is calling out. Right there in that moment is something that Jesus said that should have been more impactful upon the church over the last 2,000 years than it has been. The church has been known for elitism. The church has been known to be exclusive. Because even today, in 2021, you and I, we've got our groups We've got our groups of people who we say are in and groups of people who we say need to be out. And Jesus is calling us out for doing that. He's saying, look, everyone's a sinner. Every single person's fallen short. We're all going to continue to do this. But he has come to save those who are willing to admit it, who are willing to call it for what it is and know they need him rather than trying to hide behind a thin veil of piety. See, it's the dirty It's the sinful, it's the heathen, it's the scum, it's the unclean. Those are the ones that matter to God because they know they are. Those are the ones that matter to Jesus. Those are the ones that should matter to his church. Those are the ones that should really matter to us. That's what we should be here for. And that is what Epiphany Station is here to do. Further on, as we jump along in Matthew 9, it says, One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus. And they asked him, 
Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Like this is Matthew like verses 14 through 17 and paraphrasing it. Jesus goes on to say, look, you're asking me why we're not doing it like the old way? Stop trying to jam the old way of doing things into the new way that I'm now doing church. The new way that I'm doing God's family. Stop trying to revert it back to what it once was because it's not the same as it was. Matthew chapter 9 verses 18 through 34 is all about Jesus walking the region. He goes and he heals a woman and he revives a girl and he gives sight to the blind and he casts out a demon. And he does all of these things by going to them. He walks the streets. He goes where they are. He goes to the wells and he goes to the seashore. He doesn't hide in the temple. He doesn't require sacrifice upon entry and he doesn't need people to give some sort of payment to receive the good news. Jesus spent his entire ministry life trying to tear down the barriers to himself. And if we're not careful as the church, we put them back up and we create environments behind real and metaphorical doors that other people can't get through. We create environments where we think that God is very welcome and everyone else is pretty sure that they're not. We say things about ministry like, well, this is just for mature believers. We say that this is for God's people, that this is, this is a holy place. This is just for us and for God. <laughs> Without batting an eyelid, we become the Pharisees and we hide behind piety. And some of us, we hide Jesus Monday through Saturday. We draw him out on Sunday just to talk about him with people who are just like us. And for the outsider, we ask that they make sacrifices first, that they clean up first, that they get themselves, their family, their finances sorted first before we would welcome them in. And in short, we make Jesus, what Jesus came to do and who we represent now, we make Jesus more about us than about them. And we diminish the great commandment that we've been given to love God and to love people, period. If we're not doing the second one, can we really say that we're doing the first? To embrace outsiders means to welcome them. It means to go and find them and it means to bring them to Jesus. See, Jesus is the doctor. The church is the hospital. And those of us within it who get to work, we're the ones that do the work of the nurse. We're triage, we're counselors, we're receptionists, we're EMTs. And the reason that we do all these things is we get them to Jesus. That's the goal. Not to get them to the church, not to get them to a ministry, not to get them to a pastor, but to get them to Jesus because everybody needs Jesus. And some of us, we go to church or you're maybe at church for the first time ever because you realize something's wrong and that you realize that you need the doctor. We get these signs sometimes, like our marriage starts to decline or our kids are out of whack. Like integrity's slipping, passion's waning, purpose is gone, joy non-existent. And we get these signs that something's wrong and we need to go and we need to do something. And sometimes the church embraces those people. Not expecting them to be healthy before they walk in the door, but welcoming them in knowing that they're coming with baggage. Knowing that they need help and knowing that we have one person to introduce them to. That our job is to tell them about Jesus. See, you need Jesus and so do I and so does everybody else. And that's all we have to embrace them with. 
We embrace them with him. Because what he came to do was remove everything else, every other roadblock between people and their God. What he did on the cross is he died so that we wouldn't need to die for the evil things that we have done and continue to do that would separate us eternally from God. He came and he died for that so we wouldn't need to be separated. And he didn't just die for the nice people. He died for all people that would ever believe and ever accept him. And then he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected from the dead as proof of promise that we would be resurrected to eternal life in heaven with our God if we would take Jesus's offer and his sacrifice. You see, I think the apex and the pinnacle of understanding what Jesus came to do and now who we are as a church and what we're here to actually accomplish is found right on the back end of Matthew chapter nine. As Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages and all the area, teaching in synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and illness, he'd see crowds. And when he saw those crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into the fields. The current need in our region of people hearing the good news, the current need of people hearing about Jesus is currently beyond the church's capacity. And we need to grow our capacity to reach more people. We need to go to the cities and to the towns and to the villages and to spread the good news. We need to go with a heart and motive of compassion because that's what we're here to do. So yeah, if this is your first time at Epiphany Station, unapologetically, this is who we are. This is who we are and this is what we will do. And long after you become a part of Epiphany and you're no longer an outsider, we will be focusing on that new outsider yet to come. When I was a first time attender at Epiphany Station, I'm talking about the very, very first time. This is like over a decade ago. It was in the old building with an old pastor and an old guy at the door. And I remember this old guy at the door because see what Jackie and I had done because we're smart is we'd waited until kind of things had already started so everyone would have gone into the church service before we went in because then you can sneak in and out. That's a little tip for you outsiders when you're checking churches out. That way no one tries to talk to you, right? Because that's the goal, sneak in, sneak out. Anyway, we got there. This guy was still at the door like five minutes after everything had kicked off. And I've never seen someone open a door, open a door with such enthusiasm. Like I came to learn like later, like a couple of years later, who this guy was. And this guy was an absolute champion of the faith. He was super excited for us to be there. Like the door burst open, like we we're coming into the greatest thing ever. He was super excited and introduced himself. He asked us our names. And then he said words that I remember and I can hear them. The tone of his voice, a decade later, I hear them. He said to us, I'm so happy that you're here today. And I could tell that he meant it. He didn't know where we were coming from, who we were, or the lack of relationship with Jesus Christ that we had. But he said, I am so happy that you're here today. His name was Mark. And when I come or came to be a believer in Jesus Christ, I decided I wanted to be like Mark. I want to be like the disciple Matthew. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have compassion 
on all those who don't yet have a relationship with their God through Christ. And I want to joyously go to work every day to make sure that that's not where people stay. This, this calling, this vision that God has given us, this call to our culture, this is who we are. And this is what we'll always be about. The beginning of this year, we set a goal. By the end of the year to see 50 people, new people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And at this point right now, we've got six out of those 50. That's a great start to the year. And we're really excited for more opportunities to invite people to Jesus. We set these goals to remind us, to push us, to make ourselves useful in the building of the kingdom. So when we have time, we have energy, we have money, that we'll focus it on the lost. So this is who we are. We are a people that are here to see the hurt healed, to see the chained free, to see the lost found. And if you're going to be here at Epiphany Station, then here is your challenge. Bring people to Jesus. Learn your story of why you believe and share that with people. See the places where you can bring people that don't know Jesus Christ to come and hear the gospel. We have Easter coming up around the corner, a great opportunity for us to invite people. They've already got half a reason to come because people come. They're just waiting for your other half of the reason, which is for you to bring them along with you or to share this video or the next one online and watch it with them. You see, we are here because Jesus, when he said there's a great harvest, he wasn't kidding. The people you drive by on the road, the people you work with, the waitress, the teachers, the students, your boss, your employees, your friends, your enemies, they all need Jesus Christ. And we are his plan A. We are the church here to love God and love people, here to embrace people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So go and do that and go and be the church. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you give us uh, such responsibility and but such a joyous work to do to see people experience what we have experienced. So God, first and foremost, I would ask that you would ignite within us this delight and this joy we have in relationship with you so we would remember what it is we're offering others. Help us to worship you wholly and fully so that we would know that there is something so good to offer people that we wouldn't be able to stop talking about it. God, we ask for people, 50 people this year, to come to new faith in you. So help us and drive us and push us to be about your business of building the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.